Should we pray this message in? Father, Father, thank you for all that you're doing in church life. Thank you for what you're doing in our personal worlds, in our families and homes. It's so great to be in your kingdom, that we can carry hope in our hearts. Our future is secure. It's so good. I pray, Father, this morning that you'd stir us. Lord, with what we talk about this morning, I pray people would leave away blessed, built up and encouraged, leaving the place better than the way they came in. Use us, Father God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start a new series today, which I am calling RE. R-E. RE. And here, straight there it is on the board, uh, here, here is the verse that inspired me to begin this. It's in Isaiah 61 and verse 4. And it says this, Isaiah 61 verse 4. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places of long, uh, long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Can you see there? I read that and I thought, all these re's are good. Rebuild, restore, renew. We can see the positive effects of re. Amen? I'm not talking about RE as in religious education. Everyone's sitting there thinking that's the worst lesson I've ever been to in my life. I'm talking about RE. Now, RE is going back to something. RE is going back and helping it to work better or come alive again. RE is very powerful. If you can bring the front screen up again, you could see the whole bunch of RE's there. Can you see? Recharge, reconsider, rebuild, redeem, repent, resist, repeat, refund. Can you see? RE is just a brilliant, like, two letters. So re, you get it. So today, I want to bring your attention to and give you some thoughts around the word revive. Revive. Touch the person next to you and say, come, it's time to revive. Before you can re-anything, it has to exist in the first place. So there has to be some version of vive <laughs> to re Vive. Are you with me? And I felt I knew what it meant, and I was right, and I, but I looked it up anyway. I did my due diligence. And uh, revive has two origins, potential origins. One is French, the word vivre, which means live, and uh, the Latin one, vivere, which also means live. And so what we're doing is we're reliving. We're bringing it back to life. It's back to life. Revive means bringing it back again. Live again. Can you see the excitement? It's very different to refresh. You see, what refresh does, by show of hands, who loves a holiday? Yes, yes. If you didn't put your hand up, I just don't believe you. <laughs> or you've got arm ache, maybe. Refreshing is got you go away on holiday and you refresh and then you come back to your life refreshed and ready to go again. And that's a good thing. Revive is different. Revive is... Finding yourself in a position where you go back to something that's not the same, but it's better. So refresh is going back to the same, but just ready for it. Revive is going to something better. It's bringing it to a new place of new life. It's revive, it's not refresh. Are you hearing me? Now, it's Father's Day, so I felt like I should make some kind of tenuous Father's Day link just to bring it all in. Just picture yourself, all you fathers out there, before you had your first child. For some of you, that'll be very recent. For some of you, that's long ago. But before you had your ch first child, you had a life, didn't you? <laughs> I was just literally falling off the seat. <laughs> you had your Friday nights. 
There was the two of you. You had some spare spending money. You could treat yourself to a little something. You had time to yourself. You were living. Then you get pretty to see all the chuckles in the room. I'm telling the truth. All the chuckles in the room are just saying something right there. Then you get pregnant. And it's exciting, isn't it? Because it's what you want. You get pregnant. Baby arrives. Dot, dot, dot. No life. <laughs> the old life is gone forever. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I remember from, you know, always like to tell a story from my life, you know, our firstborn being Josh, who's poorly today, by the way, so please pray for him. Yeah, big up for Noah. He stepped into drum this morning, by the way. Yes, thank you, Noah. Thank you, Noah. Brilliant job as well. And um, so Sarah and I, you know, we um, were keen to have a baby, so I looked at her once, and um, <laughs> Josh just popped out. And, um, but you know what? This is the thing. Sarah and I had a lovely life, Lloyd, and we were excited, and we prayed, and we wanted to be great parents. And Josh, and it, everything just changes. It just does. Here's a true story. Josh didn't sleep through the night one night at all for three years. Three years! That is so easy to say. He didn't sleep through the night for three years. My mum and dad will testify. They live with us for most of that. It was so, so difficult. We started this church when Josh was 10 months old, and I wasn't sleeping at all. It was like an out-of-body experience. It has to have been God, because I wasn't even there. You'd be talking to me, and I'd be going, yeah. Yeah, I haven't got a clue what you're saying, but yeah. It was, it was really, really, really tough. Josh had reflux. He projectile vomited everything we fed him. And everyone's got an opinion on what we're doing wrong. Who knows? Just shut your face. <laughs> we were doing everything. We were taking all the vines. We were reading. We tried everything. It just wouldn't work. He just had reflux. You fed him it. It came out at distance. Sometimes we started measuring it. It was so good. It was tough. But something else springs forth, doesn't it? What about the first time they take their steps and they're tottering all over the place? And you're so chuffed and they run that 10 steps and they come into your arms as dad or mum, by the way. Your heart just swells. You don't get that without that, without going through that, without the change of life. Something, what about the first time they say, daddy? Or mummy, or papa, or grandma. It's just like your heart's like, oh, they just said my name. Do you know Josh's first ever word? Hoover. <laughs> and to this day, he's never touched one. <laughs> but your heart just swells. What about when they throw their arms around you, start kissing all over your face and licking it and everything? It's just amazing. You can't buy that kind of stuff. What about when they go to school and they just really behave themselves and really try hard and you get the teacher's report, you know, your, your child is amazing, you're like, yes, they are. <laughs> they're not at home, but that's school, they're brilliant. There's a depth of love that comes from you that you didn't even know was there. And you can't get that unless you go through the process. You see, it's revived. The old life is gone, but a new life has come and it's just better, actually. It is better. Wouldn't swap it for the world. It is better. And right there is what I want to say to you about the heart of God. When God revives you, he always makes it better. He never keeps it the same. 
God has got something better for you. Today, he's something better for you. He wants to revive something. You've had a life and it might be a good life, but God's got something better. He's saying, I'm reviving you. I'm bringing something alive in you that you didn't even know was there. Today is your day. God never leaves it the same. How about this verse in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9? The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Can you see the imagery? Can you see the theme? It was great. It was glorious. But now it's going to be better because I'm reviving something. I'm bringing new life to something. I'm breathing on it and doing something new. It's just going to be better. What about Isaiah 43? Behold, I make all things new, rivers in the desert. What's he doing? He's breathing life onto it. He's reviving something. It was okay. It was functioning. It was a desert. But now there's going to be streams of living water, something new. It's got me thinking about Lazarus, you know, the guy that Jesus raises from the dead. Lazarus. Lazarus had a life. He was very popular. I know he was popular because when he died, the whole town wept. Jesus arrived, and there's the shortest verse in the whole Bible right there, isn't it? Jesus wept. Two words. It shows his compassion for his friend Lazarus. It was difficult. They loved him. He was clearly a good and very likable man, but he died. But then Jesus comes forth, comes, comes up, doesn't he? He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out and he lives again. I wonder what his life was like after that point. And I want to suggest this. It was better. Imagine walking down the street and there's Lazarus. He's going to be some kind of superstar, isn't he? Look, there's Lazarus. He was dead. He's the, he's the one. He's the one that got up when Jesus says, come forth. There, have you seen Lazarus? There he is. Imagine Lazarus down the pub. Everyone's buying Lazarus a pint, aren't they? <laughs> Lazarus, oh, tell me your story again. I believe Lazarus would have become the greatest evangelist of all time. He was literally dead. And now he's alive. He has been revived. He had a life and God's given him an and better life. People wanted to know him. Now I appreciate I've got some license in what I'm saying, but I think you can agree some of that would be like it. It would be true. He'd be saying, you need to know my Jesus. I was dead and now I'm alive. I'm literally the evidence of it. I wonder, church, what's died that Jesus wants to revive. And what are you not yet walking in that he wants you to walk in? Because the day is the day where we're focusing on revival and what you feed grows. God wants to revive something in you. It all leads up to Revelation 21. Behold, I make a new earth, and I'll wipe away every tear. Now, sometimes we have our pictures of heaven, but the Bible talks about a new earth being regenerated and renewed. And here we are, and there's no tears, there's no arguing, there's no quarreling, there's no lack, there's no sickness. Everything is just better, revived. Are you hearing the picture? God's got something good for you. So I want to look a little bit at Elijah. The brilliant Old Testament prophet had an amazing life. Many of you will know some of it. God gave him a call. He said, I want you to go to the king and the queen. It was King Ahab and Queen Jezebel at the time. They were horrendous. Jezebel is, is witchcraft personified. She was awful. She was killing all of God's prophets. They were, they were ruling in fear. You did what you were told without questions. And God says to Elijah, go to those people. 
and say to them, it's not going to rain until I say so. And the trouble with that is, not, no rain would be economic disaster for the nation. It's not the thing they want to hear. So go to the people who are ruling by fear and say to them, it's not going to rain now until I say so. Well, I don't know about you, but that's pretty brave. That's pretty brave. Easy to read, difficult to do. But he did it. He was alive. He went and did what he's told. And then he went away. And then God fed him and built him back up again. And it all led to this point where they had this meeting on the mountain. And the prophets of Asherah and Baal all came out. There's about 850 of them. And, and Elijah says to them, okay, let's have a fire off. You know, you think your God's real, I'm saying my God's real. If your God is real, build an altar and call fire down. And we'll all see that it's true. And the nation is there watching. And the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah started cutting themselves and jumping up and down and doing their fire dances and worshipping their God. Not a bean happens. Nothing happens. I love it because Elijah starts taking the mickey and says, clearly your God can't hear you. It actually translates to, I think your God must be on the toilet. That's what it translates as. He's having, he's relieving himself. You must have to shout louder. But nothing happens. And then Elijah says, okay, my turn. And he just prays. And he said, God, glorify yourself. And this is what he does. He has water poured on all the wood. He makes it more difficult. They create a trench and fill it with water just to show what happens. And he says, over to you, God, and stands back. And fire comes from heaven. Everything is consumed. All of the people are like, yes! And they slaughter the prophets of Baal and Asherah. But the trouble is then, before I go there, imagine living that life. That's a pretty exciting life right there. Anyone here called fire down from heaven this week? No? Anyone slaughtered 850 prophets of Baal? No? Well, that might not be the best thing right now. But you hear me. He was living. He was alive. He was doing some stuff. He was brave. He put himself on the line. But then Jezebel hears about this. And this is where we pick the story up. 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 2 through 5, and then I'm going to jump forward to 13 through 18. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put to death your prophets by the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, over, uh, over the king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Can you see what's happening here? He receives a letter from a witch that says, I'm going to get you. You killed my people, I'm going to kill yours. And this man who was once alive and very zealous just gives up. I've had enough. I'm no better than anyone else. Just let me die. I wonder how many of us have ever felt like that. Can't do this anymore. Just had enough. I thought I was better than I really am. And I can't do it anymore. And he just says, give up. I want to tell you this. If ever you live for anything that stands for God, you will have opposition. You just will. We're in a spiritual dynamic. The devil wants to win some people. The father wants to win all people. And he's put you in the middle to demonstrate to all people what the father looks like. The devil hates it so that you have opposition. That's just our reality. Now, he wants to give up. But what do we see? We see the heart of God because what does he do? He revives him. He doesn't leave him there. What? I, I, I pull out of this straight away when I read it, is God does not entertain his moaning. God does not once say, yeah, I get it, Eli. It's been quite tough for you, hasn't it? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, there, there. It's all right. He doesn't even address it. He just says, what are you doing here? Get up. Sometimes I think a few of us need a father that says, what are you doing here? Get up. We all need a bit of that sometimes. And that's what the father does. He feeds him. The angel feeds him knows his needs and here's what I want to suggest to you in your tough moments in your moments when you feel like I can't do this anymore I just want to give up where will you feed because you're gonna feed but where will you feed the gossip group the friend who just tells you what you want to hear social media mr. positive thinking guy where will you feed but I know this, when you feed from sources that are anointed by God, it will always lead to revival. So my challenge to you right now is if you ever find yourself in a place where you want to give up, be careful where you feed from. Because when you feed from the right source, life will come back to you. Not as it was, but better. Because God always makes it better. What are you doing here, he says to him. Elijah feels alone and frightened. I wonder how many of us sometimes feel isolated and frightened. What's going on? I feel like I'm all on my own. But that wasn't his actual truth. It's what he felt, but God was doing something. I love it. Because what does God say? He said, I've got this guy, and they're going to sort them out. I've got this guy, and they're going to sort them out. And then I've got this guy, and if they miss any, he's getting them all. I've got it sorted. Elijah's like, oh, they're going to kill me. God's already re preparing people to sort them out on your behalf. You don't even, you're laying there going, I'm going to die. God's working things in your favor. You haven't seen it, but he's doing it. Elijah couldn't see it. He just wants to give up. But God is preparing a revival story on his behalf. Someone needs to give Father a round of applause. He feels all alone. But what does God say? I have prepared 7,000 
7,000 prophets to stand alongside you. They haven't bowed. You don't know they're there. I do. I've been preparing them for this moment. And when you want to give up, I'm suddenly going to reveal to you that I've got it all sorted. And you haven't got to do anything. So get up, feed yourself, and keep going. Come, Someone might need to hear today, get up, feed yourself, and keep going. Because here's your truth. God is working things in your favor. He just is. When he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that's not a nice Bible verse to trot off. That's our reality. God isn't going to leave you hanging, especially if you've been zealous for him, because he loves you. Elijah is revived, and he goes on, not to live the same life, but to live a better life. He lives a life where he isn't fearful, to a place of confidence where he actually steps into the greatest victory ever, and the nation is set free from the witchcraft and control of Jezebel. What an awesome story. Here's this guy who had a life. He just wanted to give up. God revives him to a better place. And all the way through it, God's been doing it on his behalf. Sometimes I feel like we, have, we say to ourselves, must do better, must work harder, must do more. And it's not so much that. It's just feeding the right places. Keep your focus on the right source. God will do it for you. And you will end up in a better place. Amen? So what about personal revival then? What would that look like? Can I suggest to you that it's really easy to go stale? Give me a wave if you've ever felt like, yeah, I'm a bit stale. Maybe not right now, but maybe you've been there at some point. Stale in relationships, stale in your work, stale in your parenting, stale in your faith. You know, you've had a life and you've enjoyed and you've done some stuff, but here's how you know you're stale. You look back with fonder memories on your history that is greater than the excitement about your now and your future. If you are less excited about your future and more excited about what you once did, you've gone stale. And you need to challenge yourself to feed from the right source. Because then God will give you a revival moment where actually you can start getting excited about your future. Celebrate the past, but I'm going to something better. There is good things coming your way, church. Here's my take. The natural will always follow the spiritual. The natural will always follow. If you choose to fully engage God, to sow into your spiritual life, your inner person comes alive. And when you are alive spiritually, you choose to pursue God. You see things through that filter. You hear things through that filter. You speak out of the overflow of a full heart. You have greater patience You are able to function at a different level because you are full. Your spirit is alive. When God made the earth, he spoke spiritual and the earth was formed natural. It's always been the order of things. He spoke, let the earth be formed. And it was spiritual to natural. Are you with me? So if you want to have a revival moment, if you want to take your life in a better place, spiritual is where it will start. Focus and feed on the right things. So into that relationship. And as your inner person comes alive, it's amazing how everything else follows. It's amazing how your spouse is so incredible when you're alive spiritually. It's amazing how things spring forth out of that kindness you show to someone because you were alive spiritually. It's amazing how much more grace you have for your children when you're close to God. It's amazing how your wisdom in handling your finances and your big life decisions flow better when you're connected to the source of life. 
when you sow into your spirit, your natural will follow. So could I suggest, conversely then, if you're having a difficult time in the natural, what's happening with your spiritual? Is the beginning of your revival a revelation this morning that says, I've got to engage this relationship again. I've been feeding from the wrong sources. I need to feed my inner person and the natural will follow. Because my truth is, God's plans for me are good. In fact, they're epic. Here's the thing. I'm sure all of us have been to conferences before, Christian conferences, Christian camps of various sorts, events. And what you do in that is you take yourself away from what is your day-to-day life and you put yourself in a spiritual environment. In effect, you are sowing into your spirit and it might cost you something in your natural. What always happens? By raise of hand, if you've been to a Christian camp, a Christian event, or, or, or a Christian conference, which is maybe two or three days, by raise of hand, did you come back more excited about your faith? There you go, right there. You put yourself in the place. God never disappoints. When we actually sow into it, he always says, yes, there you are. Have this lot. Thank you, Jesus. And he fills us. Suddenly, you come alive. Suddenly you're looking at your future, not through this filter of disappointment and all this this stuff that's happened to you, but you're looking at it through a filter of faith that says, the possibilities. Maybe I could go and grab something. Jesus is with me. Come on, I'm excited about my future again. Why does that happen? Because we positioned ourselves in a spiritual environment where God can say, I'm with you. Your faith becomes your driving force. So we've got to shout. My question is, why wouldn't you put yourself there? Get yourself out of your natural environment, away from your home and the pressures of that, and just position yourself, whatever it costs you, to be there. Why? Because you will be blessed. Your spirit will come alive and your natural will follow. But here's the flip side. How often do we go to said conference, whichever one it is, you get all, you know, yes, come on, my faith is on fire. I'm, yeah, I'm really up for it. And then I'm going to say a month later, the conference glow starts to ebb away. Why? Why does that happen? Can I suggest it's this? It's focus, it's discipline, and it's busyness. You see, when you're in the conference, your whole focus is God. You know, you suddenly find yourself getting up and having a quick flick through the Bible in the morning. And then you say to yourself, I'm going to do this when I get home. Right. The reality is we should, shouldn't we? Because in the spiritual environment, our spirit comes alive and we start putting disciplines in place which help us to grow and then we're excited about our life. But we come back to our life and bit by bit what happens? It ebbs a little, it recedes a little, it fades a little. Our focus on God just drifts a little. And what happens is there has to be balance because you've got to live in the world and you've got to work and you've got to run your family. I get all that, it has to be balance. But how is your balance? And I believe for most people, the balance is swayed towards the world and your faith is clinging on. Because actually, if our balance could be swayed towards our Father, then maybe the world would have to cling on to us and they could be keeping up with us. If you focus on the world, this is some of the fruit I think we can all agree is true of what's happening in the world right now. Anxiousness, dissatisfaction, debt-ridden, confused, fearful, I think they are fair words to describe what's happening in our world today. And if we're going to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus on what's happening in the world, that is the fruit. That is what you're always going to be battling with. Or 
you can focus and say, I am feeding from the right source. I'm going to get my balance right. I'm going to sway my balance towards the Father. And the fruit of that is faith. The fruit of that is peace. The fruit of that is joy. The fruit of that is hope. The fruit of that is generosity. The fruit of that is I wake up each morning and I'm alive and I've got some purpose and I'm going somewhere. My life just gets better. Ephesians 4, verse uh, 22 and 24 says this. You were taught with your regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That right there kind of sums it up. We've lived away, we've been in the world and experienced all of that, but now I've got a new life. I've been revived. It is new. And so what's the first thing we are challenged to, to change? The attitude of our mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Start thinking differently. Start having an attitude which actually rep represents my father in heaven, not what represents my father in the world. Start, start representing heaven better than we represent in the world. And it's change of mind. It's a change of attitude in our mind. And then what happens? We become more like God. You are holy. That is a word that is true of each of you. And holy means set apart. You are here to be in the world, but set apart from the world to demonstrate what heaven looks like. And people want to see it. And it's exciting. What about this one? Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn away my eye from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Can you see? It's just driving home the point. Where are you feeding? Where are you looking? What are you sowing into? Because when we do it God's way, we are revived to something new. Your life can't stay the same when Jesus is central. It just has to get better. Touch two people and say, it just has to get better. Your marriage, your work, your parenting, your health improves. I wonder, married couples, when you've both been really fiery for God and really passionate and prayerful and reading and sowing in and putting the worship on and doing the things we know are really great, isn't your marriage just better in that place? You look at each other different, you feel different, the way you communicate is different, it's just better. But somehow, for whatever reason, we just seem to manage to ebb. And maybe today's a revival message that says, come on, stop ebbing, step back in there. Because there's new life for you in your marriage, there's new life for you in your parenthood, there's new life for you all over your life. And I love it. What about a revived church? What could that look like? Well, firstly, the church is people. In many ways, it's so good meeting in a school because it takes away the whole idea of it's about a building. It's not about a building. You are the church. It's you. It's us. It's people. So if we all take our own individual responsibility to be close to God and we come together as a collective, what does the church look like? So there's no point in Pastor Barry being all up here excited about God and God's going to change the world and you're sitting there like... Ugh. We all need to take some responsibility for our own personal walk. We all need to make sure we're getting fed. I can't feed all of you all of the time. There is plenty of resources. We are more resourced in the world today than ever before. If you're saying I'm going hungry, come on. Type in whatever you want to find. It's there. 
let's get fed. Let's get close to the Father. Let's turn up on a Sunday in a place where we're passionate. Let's turn up on a Sunday where we want to praise the King of Kings because we've had a fresh revelation. Let's turn up on a Sunday holding hands with our spouse because we're in the best place we've ever been. Let's turn up on a Sunday celebrating our children. And I know they don't always behave on a Sunday, but we know it's just part of family life. It's okay. We do it together sometimes, don't we? But let's get ourselves into a place where we're excited and passionate about life again because I've sown from the right sources. You need to take your personal responsibility and bring it together. I love this. The Valley of Dry Bones, verse Ezekiel 37, verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Now this starts off as this valley of bones. And what happens? Spiritual first. The Lord has spoken to me. I'm declaring, I'm prophesying, I'm doing something spiritual. Breathe life. And what happens? The natural follows. The bones come together and they stand up a vast army. Church, sometimes I wonder if we've been a bit dry. But God is saying, come on, I need an army now. I need an army now. This is revival time. I need an army now. I need my church to stand up a vast army, excited about the potential they carry, who they represent, and all we could do together. It's time to stand up. God creates an army. We could be part of that. We could be part of that. God, breathe on me again. God, breathe on these awesome people again. We need you. Here's the thing. When I talk about revival, I think many people, where your head goes to when I say revival, it's thoughts of miracles, healings, and mass salvation responses. Probably that would be one of our things in terms of revival. And that is absolutely part of it. Some people need to see something, but I want to say it's not the sum total of it. It is part of it. Here with Jesus, let me show you. This is Jesus speaking, Matthew 11, verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So what Jesus is saying is, I've done loads and loads and loads of miracles in front of you. And still it hasn't changed you. I think sometimes we feel like if people see a miracle, that's it, it's all done and dusted. But it wasn't true for Jesus, so it may not be true for us. And so let's not hang our hat on miracles alone. Miracles are part of it, absolutely. But let's not make that all of it. Miracles aren't the goal. Relationship with Jesus is the goal. Relationship with Jesus is the goal. Everything else can follow. Miracles are faith-inspiring. I've prayed for people and seen miracles. I've prayed for a guy who was blind in one eye and it opened. That's happened to me. That's my story. It's happened. So I've seen it and it excites me. But they're moments that God gives us. Relationship with Jesus is life itself. You know, God's power over the natural world is so exciting when we see it. But Jesus says, I did that in front of you and it still didn't change you. Some people just need this other kind of journey. I've also, I also know lots of people in my life who've experienced miracles themselves. You know, outrageous stuff. And yet they still didn't become Christians. And it's just like, you know, I think, what? Literally, what on earth? But that's some people. So yes, miraculous. Yes, lay hands on for healing. And God says we will see that for sure. But life transformed through relationship with Jesus is the best goal. See, revival has to begin, I believe, with the church getting her passion back. 
because the church coming alive is what God's going to use to represent to the world. You know, when the church comes alive, it breeds growth, it breeds impact, it breeds changed lives, health, wholeness, faith. All these things come pouring out of the church. And so I want to say, prayer is the key. Prayer is key. We've talked about this a lot. Spiritual first, natural second. When the church prays, things happen. The spiritual will, will go first, the natural will follow. When we pray, atmosphere is changed. I love it that we come and pray in this building every day. I'd love to talk to the staff and say, do you sense anything different? It has to be different. Because these rooms are all getting prayed in. Imagine if we committed, absolutely committed to pray for this estate, to pray for this estate you live on, to pray for the businesses in our town, to pray for our young people. Imagine if we actually committed to pray for them. Something has to change. Imagine if we prayed for marriages and families. Something has to change. We will eventually see results in the natural. So will you pray? Um, Matt, Bills and I often talk about the Hebrides revival, very famous revival. And he sent me a link to it only recently, and I suppose it sparked something off in me again. But the Hebrides revival was incredible. Google it, it's out there, it's not difficult to find. But, but it started like this. A couple of old ladies prayed and didn't stop praying and kept praying. And when everyone else gave up, they kept praying. And here's what happened. This man called Duncan Campbell turned up. So they prayed in the spiritual and God sent them a man in the natural, but he was an anointed man. And he was able to communicate the heart of Jesus. And they had these meetings and masses of people came. But this, I'm going to read you a quote from Duncan Campbell now. This is what Duncan Campbell himself says. First, let me tell you what I mean by revival. An evangelistic campaign or special meeting is not revival. In a successful evangelistic campaign or crusade, there will be hundreds or even thousands of people making decisions for Jesus Christ. But the community remains untouched and the churches continue much the same as before the outreach. In revival, God moves in the district. Suddenly, the community becomes God-focused. That's cool, isn't it? That's cool. Because that takes the pressure off us putting on some massive event. The pressure on us is to pray. Would you pray? Would you pray for whatever God's put on your heart? Would you pray and not give up praying? Because then we are going to see revival. When the church shifts and commits more passionately to be like Jesus, we will see different results. We'll see something different. I don't know, there's someone in your world who you're desperate to meet Jesus. Well, come on, could you shift? Could you up your game? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a best friend or a work colleague. I don't know, there'll be people in your world, are you looking at them and thinking, you need Jesus? Well, it starts with prayer. And it touches people outside the church. It touches people outside the church. Here's the thing, we've, we've been a Christian nation. My understanding is less than 5% of our nation goes to church now. But we've been a Christian nation. Well, we're talking about revival. We were once alive as a nation, but God is the God of revival. Could he bring it back to life again? Come on. Could our nation become a Christian nation again? You know, could, could, could it start with people like me and you saying, God, we believe in this stuff. We're praying to change our world. Pray for my neighbor on my street. Pray for that person I can see struggling. Could we start getting bolder? Ultimately, all humanity stems from a relationship with God. Could we pray for our world? Revive it back to where it's supposed to be, God. That's his heart too. But here's what I wonder. If we are willing 
to look at our personal worlds and get the balance switched towards sowing into and feeding from God and allow that to do something in our inner person, would we start behaving differently all across our world? In our homes, in our church, in our workplace, in our social spaces, at the gym, on the dog walk, in your street, putting the rubbish out, whatever it might be. When you are in a place where you are full, it has to come out of you. And people see it. And Duncan Campbell says, revival is when the community becomes God-focused. Wouldn't it be awesome if people started turning to Jesus just because you made a decision one day to say, I'm going to play my part. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with the church. A bunch of people praying and suddenly people find themselves God-conscious. I know in the Hebrides revival, there was all kinds of things. People were walking down the street and suddenly they were on their knees going, God, we need you. No one had said anything to them. God's capable of that stuff. That would be flipping epic, wouldn't it? Imagine driving to church. Dream with me a little bit. Imagine driving to church. Here we are in a, I don't know, 140-seater. We're driving down the road and suddenly there's about 50 people on the knees crying. And you're like, oh no, Barry's been preaching again. <laughs> but no, it's not that at all. It's that they were walking to the shops to get their morning newspaper and suddenly they just felt the presence of God overwhelm them and they had to stop. Come on, could you dream with me, church? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were walking into the building with our hearts full, ready to praise and actually we stand out there and we double our number because there's so many people on the street we're like, come and have a look. Come and let us help you. Let's disciple you. Let's show you what Jesus looks like. Let's go on a journey together. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could we dream like that? God is the God of revival. Lord, revive us. Is that my prayer? Lord, revive us. And here's the thing. The world depends on it. The world depends on me and you being revived. So there's a revival outside. Are you with me? Would you stand to your feet? I'd love to pray for you. Hey, let me just invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. Don't have to, there's no rules, but I think it's helpful. Let's give God our full attention. Lord, we come to you this morning with hearts that are thankful that you have never once given up on us, that you gave your Son for us that we could have relationship with you thank you but today we want to come and say sorry for where we put other things first we've got our balances all wrong but we choose Father God today to get disciplines in place rhythms in place in our life that tips the balance in your favour Revive us, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Take us to a place we've never been before. New life. Come alive, church. Come alive, church. Get excited about your future, church. He's always been preparing for you. That, that obstacle, that person, that thing that's been hindering you, God's got, got it sorted. Don't give it your attention. Feed on him. 
revive us, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd make us hungry. Hungry for more of you. We've already acknowledged, Lord God, that whenever we position ourselves in an intense space with you, we always come out better. Let us be hungry, Lord. Revive your church, Lord God. Let us see the miraculous. Let us be bold to lay hands on, full of faith and expectation to see lives changed. But most importantly, Lord God, let us lead people into a relationship with you. Thank you that you believe in us, Father God. That you entrust this great message of salvation to people like us. It's our privilege. Use us, Lord God. I just feel like it's possibly a great moment. Is there people here that really feel like they've left their faith journey slide a little bit? Is today the day for you to say, Lord, I feel prompted. I want to put you first again. Just whenever I close it, that's you. Just give me a wave because I'm going to pray for you. God bless you there. God bless you over there. God bless you. God bless you. So good. Lord, you've seen these amazing people just acknowledging they've let it slide. Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Thank you there's no judgment and no condemnation for those in Christ. But today we choose, Jesus, you're number one. Take the throne of our lives again and be central. I'm going to feed from you. Lead me forward. Revive me. Take me to a place I've never been before. Let the excitement come back into my life that I have purpose in Christ. I declare it over you in Jesus' name. Lord, I just pray for everyone here that with all of our different lives, Lord God, that you would help us to challenge ourselves with rhythm and balance. That we would feed from you. And because of that, we would bear the fruit associated. Peace in our lives, hope in our hearts. Full of grace generous and loving, kind, patient. Let us be a bit more like you, Father. Revive your church, Lord God. Revive your church, Lord God. Interested me as we were worshipping and the guys didn't know when they created the set what I was going to talk about but we did that song Fresh Wind and it's got revived in there I wonder if that might be a great song to sing in a moment I'm usually pretty good at sensing an atmosphere and you know sometimes when you talk about revival people can get hyped up and jump and clap and yeah we're going to change the world and, and that's good but you know what I sense something different and I, I think it's good that we're taking this seriously Lord, do what you've got to do in me. Revive me. Come together, we will see a revived church.
So we're going to sing that song right now. And here's my challenge to your church. Would you sing it passionately? Would you let it come out of a heart that says, Lord, you're number one? Would you let it come from a place that says, thank you, Jesus, that I have an eternity in heaven? Would you let it come from a place that says, thank you, Jesus, that you are actually working things behind the scenes in my favor and that my future is safe? Would you sing it from a place that bows the knees and says, you are God and I am not. And I'm making myself available to your purposes. Revive me, Lord. Come on, church, let's sing this together.